Welcome to the GovComs podcast, bringing you the latest insights and innovations from experts and thought leaders around the globe in government communication. Now, here is your host, David Pembroke. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to GovComs, the podcast that examines the practice of content communication in government and the public sector. My name's David Pembroke. Thanks for joining me. Today, I'm joined by Kelly Reardon. Kelly is Australia's leading podcast strategist and the creative lead behind many of Australia's biggest podcasts, including Conversations, Ladies We Need to Talk, and Unravel True Crime. She was the founding commissioning editor of ABC Audio Studios, which was a part of the Australian Broadcasting Corporation. Kelly has recently stretched out on her own uh, to set up a new independent audio consultancy called Dead Set Studios. Dead Set Studios specialises in audio strategy, podcast production, branded storytelling, and digital strategy. In this role, Kelly commissions and creates new shows, leads podcast and audio content teams, and has supervised multiple complex podcast productions from idea and format development through production and budgeting all the way to launch and distribution. And she is a regular speaker about podcasts all around the world. She joins me today. Kelly, thanks very much for joining me on GovComs. Great to be here to be talking on your podcast about podcasting. (laughs) (laughs) It's a bit like that, isn't it? We've been at it for a number of years now, and I think obviously we're now in that um, phase now, aren't we, where uh, people have caught on and there are just so many podcasts out there. But I find that all I'm doing now is listening to more podcasts because the content is so relevant to my needs. And I can find things that I am really interested in. And there are just so many good quality podcasts out there. Are you finding the same thing that the quality is going up as well as the volume? Look, I've been talking about 2020 as the sort of the third phase of podcasting. So if you think about um, the early sort of 2004, 2005 moment, which was when podcasting really sort of started, and I started very early in the medium because I was producing Richard Feidler on Conversations, which was then just a radio show going out nationally on the ABC. But I saw an opportunity to get this thing called an MP3 file and publish it to the internet. And of course, this this was before iPhones. So the whole concept of podcasting hadn't really taken off in the form that we know it today, which is, you know, almost like a radio in your pocket called a mobile phone. But certainly the idea of downloading an audio file from the internet um, was just starting to take off then. And then phase two of podcasting was really around the 2004 era when Serial came out. And this was really the first time a massive kind of global hit had happened with podcasting. So it was a a sort of a serialized narrative series, which today there are a dime a dozen, but in 2014, that was really brand new. And, And that really put podcasting in front of a lot more people. And then in 2020, I kind of call this podcasting mark 3.0 because this is the year when we've reached a bit of a tipping point. You know, in the US, more people now listen to a podcast regularly than don't. Um, And in Australia, around about 30% of the population listens to a podcast regularly. So it's, it's no longer this sort of 
thing that just the kids do, it is um, certainly becoming mainstream. So in terms of that growth, if it's now up to 30%, how much growth do you see left in the market? Do you, do you see it sort of getting up, you know, all the way through to sort of 70, 80, 90, 100%? Look, I think there are a couple of things about it that will help. You know, the more that people understand that what a podcast is, is so simple to do, it's just there on your mobile phone already, then we'll see a lot more people migrate to it. Whereas they still think, oh, how do I do that? Where do I get it from? Do I have to go to a website? Is there an app? You know, people are still confused about how to actually listen to a podcast on their mobile phone. So I think that's a critical piece of the work. The second thing I think is the explosion in the type of content. So again, sort of the last decade or so, um, podcasting has followed, I guess, more what the news organizations are doing. So news podcasts, light entertainment, chat shows, interview shows. But now we're seeing podcasting move into bingeable content, quiz formats, reality shows, all the sorts of things you're used to seeing on Netflix or Stan. So as that... um, sort of content category continues to expand, then I think the people who aren't, you know, aren't so interested in a daily news show from CNN or the ABC, but they might be interested in kind of a trashy reality TV show. Once that happens, I think the sky's the limit for podcasting. And in terms of the growth, how important is the mobile phone to the success of podcasts? hugely important. I absolutely talk about it as being that radio in your pocket. It's the one you take everywhere now. And the reason it's different to radio is radio by its very nature is broadcasting. It is a one-to-many experience. There are usually many people in a kitchen or a lounge room and the radio is on in the background. Podcasting is a much more intimate niche experience. It's usually one-to-one. One person is listening in their headphones while they're out for a run or on the train commuting and they're listening to opt-in content. It's not just whatever happened when you turned on the radio, whatever subject they were talking about. It's you've opted in to a show about fly fishing or surfing or golf or news because that's what you're interested in. So I think that makes a massive difference to how many people will start to download a podcast. But I think that's also possible because it's on your mobile phone and, and you're, you're, you view your mobile phone as your own personal device. And so you think it's tailored to you. You're used to scrolling through your Facebook or your Instagram feed, getting content that you've sort of opted in for or is tailored for you. And I think once people realise that the podcasts that they subscribe to on their very own phone are completely targeted towards them, then you'll see this explosion in in listening. And do you expect that that will happen quickly in terms of that explosion? Like, are you you forecasting that, like, rapid and dramatic growth in the next couple of years? Yeah, look, we've seen a pretty steady 20 to 30% year on year growth, but in some categories, it's looked much more like 40%. And I think that will escalate more quickly as more content, you know, is available in the market. And we're seeing much bigger players and more global players come into the market. So now that Spotify um, have really spent a lot of money on podcasting and are betting big on the fact that they can get people to listen to a podcast as well as music on their platform, they're going to start to transition audiences that aren't 
natural podcast listeners who we know are generally higher educated, educated, higher earning sorts of people. Whereas I think with someone like Spotify, they've got an opportunity to get those people, you know, age 16 to 25 listening to a podcast. So I do think the growth will be exponential probably across the next three years and then perhaps flatten out a little. The other thing about podcasts though that's a bit different to every other medium is how sticky it is. So, you know, you put a you put a video on Facebook or YouTube and you might be lucky if someone watches 30 seconds of it, right? But podcasting, people who do listen love it and they listen to the whole show. Like completion rates on a 35, 55, 65-minute podcast are incredible. Like people do listen to 85, 90% of the show. So if you're a brand who's wanting to get to a particular consumer or you're a storyteller who's trying to engage with a specific audience, podcasting is a very sticky medium in which to do that. What makes a good podcast? Um, I think a podcast that absolutely knows who its audience is, and again, that comes back to that sort of niche audience, is sure there are a few shows that appeal to all sorts of people, but most podcasts work best when they're targeted to a specific audience. So if you're creating a show like Ladies We Need to Talk, which we did at the ABC for women aged kind of 30 to 45 about health and sexuality, then we want to have a host who talks like them. We want to have a case, you know, case study in every episode, which is an audience member who speaks like them. We want to choose topics and subjects that that audience is interested in. And the whole tone and flavor of the show from the music we choose to the artwork we commission to the scripts and the way we use language, it's all completely targeted to that specific audience. And so that to me just makes it such an exciting medium because you can just zone in and think about that archetype audience member that you can tailor it to. So to that very point, (laughs) this podcast is for people who work in government communication. And every week we speak to people such as yourself uh, to get insights, um, to help people to really think about where are they going to go with their explanations of policy and programs, services, regulations in this content-led culture um, that that we live in. So if you were working in a, a government department, what are some of the things that you should be thinking about if you're thinking that um, podcasts might be for you? I think the key thing is to zone in on you know, as a government agency or if you're running a big campaign um, for a stakeholder or a particular subject matter group, you're going to have some key messages that you want to get through. But underneath that, you really need to think about which are the ones that are really relevant to an audience and how can we tell a story in that space that's not just, you know, kind of talking points memo um, that looks like a press release that came off the, you know, fax machine 20 years ago. It's about thinking of stories, people, real people, case studies, people who have subject matter expertise. The thing about the audio medium is that humans relate to other humans. And so I'd like to see more branded and government podcasts that move away from kind of expert host talks to another expert. And it's kind of like for me as an audience member, I'm not even in the conversation. It's just two experts over there talking to each other. Whereas if you're doing a drink driving campaign, 
then I want to hear from somebody who was arrested for drink driving and what happened to them and did it make them change their behavior and how did it change their behavior and whose lives did it impact? And I want to hear from the person who was plowed, you know, right through up the back end by this drink driver and what happened to them and what injuries they sustained and how it's changed their life. So I think it's much more powerful Um, If you can tap into real people with real stories and expertise in that space, rather than relying on, you know, expert Y talks to academic X. Um, And and the other thing I think is humour. You cannot underestimate um, the use of humour. And we did this with a show that I led at the ABC called The Pineapple Project. The first series was all about how to be better at money. And our target audience was women 25 to 40. And sure, we could have got some finance expert to kind of talk down to us all on how to do a budget and plan for superannuation. But instead, we got a a comedy host. We got Claire Hooper, who's a total train wreck with money. And we set her on a journey to learn all these things that she needed to know about how to budget and how to plan for saving for a wedding and do a family budget when you've got kids and ask for a pay rise. So by her playing the role of the listener, it's so much more engaging and it's funny and you're getting that information um, without really realising you're getting that nutritious information because you're having a great time listening. How how important is the, is the niche and is it more effective if it's super narrow? I think it's both. It depends on the message you're trying to communicate and whether it is for a niche audience or whether it's a more broad mainstream audience. And I think podcasting can do both. Um, We've seen with shows like the Joe Rogan show or conversations with Richard Feidler and Sarah Konoski that broad mainstream conversations about everyday people and topics can work really well. But equally, um, because it's an opt-in experience, you can really go to that core audience and you can give them information that's relevant and targeted. And I think that's where if you're a brand or a government agency trying to communicate a message, you would be far better to think about exactly who you're trying to target because in any campaign, you're usually focusing on a specific audience. You know, it's a product for younger people or it's a product for retirees or whoever it's for. And think about what kinds of information and case studies and hosts and questions and topics that that audience would look for, because that ultimately builds a really strong network and a really strong community engaged around your podcast. And those people start talking to each other. And then suddenly you've got a Facebook group and then you've got, you know, a whole digital play that exists with social media, or there might be short form videos or webinars or all sorts of things that go around it. But the podcast is at the heart of creating a conversation around the campaign that you're trying to um, roll out. Because this perhaps is, I I think, where I believe that there is the biggest opportunity in government. And I think the... You know, the, 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 the anti-smoking and the, the drink driving campaigns and those large sort of behavioural campaigns that are directed to everybody, they're a very small part of government communication because most government communication is actually quite narrow um, because it connects to a particular uh, audience around whatever uh, that you might be talking about. Yeah, or an industry. Or an industry, exactly. So, uh, you know, Austrade, for example, connecting with exporters, but inside exporters there could be uh, 
seafood exporters and there could be beef exporters. And I think that opportunity is, uh, you know, to, to slice out those sort of niches then to be able to think about, well, I want to build an audience and build a relationship with these people so as that over time I can build that audience and so when I've got other things to talk to them about, I can sort of enrich that conversation as we go with the latest, I don't know, it might be a new program, it could be a legislative change, it could be a change to a free trade agreement that they mightn't have known about. So how do you build an audience over time? How regularly do you have to turn up to make sure that you're building that trusted relationship that you alluded to before. One of the things that I talk about a lot is that every podcast starts with an audience of zero. So unlike radio, where you put something on the radio or on television, you've got a ready-made audience. With a podcast, you literally start with no audience and you build it from the ground up. So there is an incredible amount of distribution work and focus that you need to do and and marketing and leveraging your contacts and people in the industry or those subject matter experts who can help you spread the word. But once you've got a good strategy around that and you do need a strategy, you can't just put it out and hope for the best. Um, There's a million podcasts out there now. um, And so to, to cut through in the clutter, you do have to have a strategy around your launch and your distribution. But once you're up and running and you start to gather that community, it can snowball quite well for you. And because it's such a flexible medium, you can kind of open the mic or close the mic whenever there's something relevant to say. So you don't have to turn up every Tuesday at three o'clock like you would on a radio show and say, okay, superannuation industry, we're now going to talk about super. You can instead go whenever there's something relevant, useful, interesting to say, that's when we mount an episode. You want to be, you know, fairly regular with what you're putting out and the number of episodes that you're doing, but you can also react. You know, if something happens or there's a big announcement in your field, you can simply open the microphone and tell people about it. Um, And then you can activate all of those other channels um, and have sort of a cross-disciplinary approach where what's happening on your social media is reflecting the podcast and vice versa. And you might have, you know, as I said, webinars or any number of events or public, um, you know, public activities that happen around your campaign. So you absolutely can use the flexibility of the medium, but you do have to focus on that initial piece of work. And I do this quite a lot with clients where they've got this great idea for a podcast and they've often got the audience for it too, because they're already, you know, gathered around, um, you know, trade or whatever it is. But then you have to communicate really well and launch really well with a, a tailored offer and tell people about it in a whole number of ways. And that's getting profile on podcasting platforms. It's getting press. It's some of the the old kind of shoe uh, leather that we all employed when we were trying to get our stories, um, you know, heard or seen 20 years ago. But there's a number of new tactics in the digital age around getting um, profile for your show. Okay, well, let's go to that. So let's say, you know, we are working in government department XYZ. We've identified our audience. We know that they're there. We have a ready-made amount of information and stories, um, and we have access to people and industry associations and all sorts of interesting content. We've um, secured the equipment, which is reasonably cost-effective for us to be able to, to do that. What, what then goes into the strategy now that I've decided that I'm going to go and I can do it? What, what do I have to do when I'm starting to build this strategy and this plan? 
I usually recommend a two-tiered approach. So there's a strategy that's around the overall podcast offer. So making sure you've published it in all the best places for that podcast to be. Um, It's also making sure you have a marketing campaign around the launch of the podcast. And those things are very important. But I think a secondary tier is around exploiting the content on an episode by episode basis. And so it you know, that's not always possible depending on your resourcing, but you can always, even if you're a very small organization or a non-profit organization, you can always pick one or two things to do to really maximize the impact on a specific episode. So if you have a key guest who doesn't talk in the media very often, or they say something particularly newsworthy, you could think about packaging that content in a whole lot of different ways, you know, on social media, via video content, maybe you'll put it on YouTube, maybe you'll send some clips out to press, maybe you'll want to get a review. And you can do that in a very tailored way again, where if someone comes on your show and talks about being a vegetarian, there might be a great vegan publication that you can say, hey, look, I've done this great podcast episode and this would make a really great digital article. Um, Here's a couple of key points. Do you want the audio to do a write-up of it? And suddenly you've got a bit of press on that particular episode. So that could be a bit of work, but it's also just about picking the right target audience and to lean into those niches again. Um, And then the other thing is not giving up (laughs) because pod fade is a real thing. And it's when people get so excited about their podcast and they put it out into the world and they do five episodes and then they realize this whole podcast thing, it's quite a lot of work. And then they shut down. Um, It takes a while to build an audience. And so you do need to have a strategy that has a bit of a long-term play. And you might do a series of 10 episodes and then have a little rest in production and then put out another series of 10 episodes. Be realistic about what you can achieve, but also don't burst out of the gates with five killer episodes and then do nothing because then you've wasted all of that effort when you finally found your audience at episode number five, and then you've kind of turned off your microphone and you've left them. That's a terrible audience experience for those people. So in terms of distribution and and being on these different platforms, can you describe to me what are these platforms and, and why do I have to be there? So there are some of the big players like Apple Podcasts. So you can quite literally send an email or there's a little um, portal that Apple have where you can submit your podcast to be on Apple Podcasts. And and they're still really the biggest player. And it doesn't cost you anything to do that. It just costs you a tiny little bit of technical expertise, which hopefully someone in your organization has. Um, But you should also submit your podcast to to uh, platforms such as Spotify now. And again, just by doing a Google search on literally how to submit my podcast to Spotify, up comes their page that tells you step-by-step what to do. Google um, tend to index via SEO or search engine optimization. So um, it's always good to consider your episode descriptions and your titles of your episodes really carefully. People don't spend enough time on that. They make this great podcast and then because they're all tired and it's 11 o'clock at night before hitting publish, they uh, don't do a great podcast description and they don't put all those keywords in. So you absolutely have to think about that in order to capture that SEO effect from Google. There are also a number of small podcast platforms that are worth um, telling that you've got a podcast. And some of them just do what's called indexing from Apple. So some of those really small 
podcast players tend to just draw your what's called your RSS feed. That's the way you publish a podcast directly from Apple. But others like Pocket Casts will require you to submit it separately. And that's just a quality assurance thing to make sure that, you know, if you made a mistake in the way you submitted it to Apple, then that mistake amplifies on every other podcast platform. But there's lots of smaller um, apps that are becoming bigger, things like CastBox, Podbean, Podcast Addict, Stable. There are lots of kids apps now as well. Um, Pinner, uh, Fun Kids in the UK. There are lots of like Leela Kids is another one. So there are also apps that exist around particular um, content categories as well. So it's making sure you have profile in all of those places. And how, how many of those could there potentially be? Yeah, you just need to focus on the top sort of six or seven. Um, There are much smaller ones, but they're literally going to get you, you know, a handful of downloads. So that may not be worth your time and effort. But certainly on the top five platforms, you would be crazy not to publish your content there because, you know, as I said before, the majority of audience is on those bigger platforms. We are seeing... um, a little bit of a trend towards or away, I guess, from the open web nature of podcasting. You know, generally speaking, you you published your podcast via RSS feed and it was available everywhere on the open web, just like blogs were. But now we're seeing some of the podcast apps like iHeartRadio and Spotify wanting to have exclusive content. So their strategy looks a little bit more like what we're used to seeing on Netflix and Stan, where you can only watch The Crown on Netflix, while you can only listen to Michelle Obama's podcast on Spotify. Well, that was certainly the case when they first launched it. I think they've now spread it everywhere. But I think you will see more and more of that um, exclusive content, big name content available on certain platforms. But for people that, you know, you work with, um, you should be making sure that your podcast is available everywhere. Now, there's different types of podcasts. There's a podcast like the one we're doing today, which is an interview podcast, which is quite straightforward where, you know, pick a topic um, you know, organise a, an, an introduction, have enough questions to keep the conversation going and hopefully create value for the audience. And you mentioned um, Serial there before, which was, uh, which fu- you know, f- uh, much higher um, production values, much more time, much more effort and energy that goes into producing um, that type of podcast. How do you decide what sort of podcast you should be producing for your audience? It's really a little market analysis, like just looking at what else is in the content category you're entering and thinking about what your unique audience proposition is, like what's the value that you can bring that no one else can, and then thinking about okay, so how would we then create a show and a format that's distinctive in that space so that we're not just replicating what everybody else is doing? And then your resource question absolutely comes into it as well. So, you know, you're not always going to be able to do what Serial did where they literally spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on each episode. But what can you do? And, and you know, you can ask yourself questions like, Instead of doing 50 shows a year for um, a particular campaign and just doing a very cheap interview show, could we create more impact if we did a great fictional 
podcast and it was 10 episodes and we told a story across time and maybe we'd get a lot more press and people would be more interested in it and suddenly you're doing something in the market that nobody else is. Or maybe your format is to take a really funny comedy um, or or celebrity type um, and and genre mash them. So perhaps there's a great um, soccer player who happens to be a really good cook. And so suddenly you've, you've mashed, you know, sport with food together and then you're doubling your audience. So there's a whole lot of ways that you can think about doing something different. The talk or interview show is there are a dime a dozen and sometimes they're really useful. Like this conversation we're having where you just need to impart information, absolutely useful. But you do need to think about a format that's distinctive. Maybe it's a quiz show that you want to do. Maybe it's a reality show. Maybe it's a scripted um, piece of content that sounds like a film and puts you in this immersive world and suddenly your audience is transported to another place and you're trying to tell the story of, you know, why climate change is ruining Australia and you do it by, you know, going on some sort of holiday somewhere where there's, you know, a lot of bushfires and you're telling the story via documentary. So there's a whole lot of different ways that you can think about the format and there's some really exciting formats out there whereby the sky's the limit in the creativity that you can apply to your show. How do you acquire the, the skills to be able to make a good program? Um, it's, it's funny because the amount of people who know how to make a podcast in Australia is, is actually reasonably small. And I mean the people who know how to make really great podcast native fit for purpose shows. So there are great audio makers all around the country who make radio every day. But podcasting is different. It requires a different skill set. It's it's you know, it's not so topic-driven usually. It's more story-driven. It's more plot-driven. Um, usually TV producers who are used to doing documentary make good audio makers because they understand plot and casting and character and twists and turns and they know how to plot those things across an episode. Whereas when you make daily radio, which I did for many, many years, um, you tend to think in topics and kind of news grabs, which is useful on some podcasts but not on all. Mm. So I think... As as the whole industry booms, there'll be more people coming through. But I'm, I have to say, even when I was at the ABC, finding good staff who really know their stuff around making fit-for-purpose content for podcast platforms was a challenge. And that's a piece of work that I'm trying to do with my company, Deadset Studios, now is to train up that next crop of audio producers so that they can make great shows because I think there's a bit of a a gap in the market for that. And, you know, university courses haven't really caught up yet with like, you know, bespoke training for podcast creation. So I hope that in the way that short form video has become an art form that is different to making hour long TV documentary, um, that, you know, podcast creation will become a skill that's um, more ready, readily available in the way that it is for just general radio making at the moment. And so how much time and effort would it take for, for somebody to um, acquire those skills if they were to do a course with, um, with your particular company? Look, it would really depend on what kind of show we need them to work on. I mean, to develop skills to work on a long-form serialised narrative show like Unravel True Crime or The Teacher's Pet or Serial 
you have to have great journalism skills, great storytelling skills, an understanding of working with a host. You have to be able to script really well. You have to synthesize a lot of information and storyboard it. So there are you know, fewer than 10 people in Australia who know how to do that, in my opinion. Um, but but there are many more people who know how to make a weekly, you know, uh, podcast that might look like um, a celebrity chat show or a great pop culture show or something with a bit of format like the Pineapple Project where we teach you how to be better at your money or we go on a quest to learn something or a great sports show where you're getting a bit of analysis. There are people who can do that, but I find that if they come with audio making skills, we have to teach them um, how to be more direct with their communication because they often they often script things like hi and welcome to the show today we're talking about I would never start a podcast like that I would start with the story and I would start with the plot so you know it's it sounds different it has a different aesthetic I think the other piece is the distribution piece so you know in the days when you made radio, which I did for a long time, once you put that radio show to air, your job was done and you went back to your desk and you planned the next day show. Whereas with podcasting, once you put that episode to bed, your work is only just beginning. You've then got all this work to get it to an audience to make sure it's distributed everywhere, that you've marketed it properly, that you've seeded it with communities of interest who need to hear it. So the distribution piece makes it um, really uh, a different type of thinking as well. But I mean, I'm hopeful that, you know, there's a week-long course where we put people through a bit of a podcast boot camp and uh, as long as they've got a base level of audio making skill going into it, that kind of at the end of it, they've really got the podcast thinking ingrained in them, whether it's writing intros, episode descriptions, plotting out a story, distributing the show, doing digital content. Those are the sorts of skills that I'll be teaching. Now, you mentioned the host. What makes a good uh, host? What sort of qualities do that does that person need to have to make the podcast a success? I think podcasting really requires a host to be very genuine, very authentic. They've forgotten there's a microphone in front of them and they're just immersed in the storytelling and having a good time. They're people who can react on tape. So if you're doing a, a documentary they have a great reaction when something happens in the moment. You know, the source has just told you, you know, they've just revealed their mother was the killer. And so the host's ability to react in the moment is crucial. But equally on a different style of show, a host who's quick and funny and quick-witted is going to work really well. Um, But first and foremost, I would say the ability to communicate to one listener speaking directly at them instead of the welcome to the show, everybody, I'm here today to talk to you about. It's getting rid of all that sort of radio crutch speak and instead just putting the listener in the story. So it's starting off with, I opened the door and realised it was a, a blue sky but a cold day in London as I headed towards the tube. You know, I went down the stairs, swiped my Oyster card and jumped on. Little did I know that sitting right beside me was someone strapped with a bomb right to their chest and that two hours later I'd have no legs. Now, if someone opens a show like that, you're not switching off. (laughs) So instead of saying, joining me on the show today is a woman who, you know, found themselves in the middle of the London bombings and her name is blah, blah, blah. It's just putting the listener 
in that plot point and then rewinding. It's like going to the movies where usually something happens at the beginning of a movie that gets you hooked in and then you kind of rewind and get the backstory. So it's people who can tell stories in colourful and visceral ways. And listen, you've taken the brave step to move out from the Australian Broadcasting Corporation where you had such a outstanding career. Tell us a little bit about Dead Set Studios and and what you're going to achieve there. Yeah, look, I had absolutely the best job in in Australian podcasting at the ABC and it was a gut-wrenching decision to make. Um, I loved that job. I loved my team. We made what I think are some of the best shows in the world, if not Australia. But I was equally excited by what's going on globally and because of my contacts with international organisations, be they, you know, a podcast outfit like Wondery or uh, a more mainstream broadcaster like the CBC or the BBC, I'm in a position where I'm able to choose to work on some pretty interesting global projects. And then I also saw the opportunity locally um, to both create um, a pipeline of interesting Australian shows for other media organisations or for, you know, government departments or advertisers, but also to make some original shows and original content here in Australia. So, I guess I just thought I'd give it a go and 2020 being the year that it's been, uh, I guess it was sort of I got to that now or never. I could see this, I could see the opportunity for the last few years but now it felt like it was time to actually give it a go. Australia is a relatively small market. You know, the number of podcasts that we're doing here and the audience we can get in Australia is you know, much smaller than the US, of course, where there's millions and millions of people. But I think the ability to work on local content and also some global shows was very appealing to me. And listen, before we close out the conversation today, what would be your parting advice to the government communicators listening uh, to our conversation today? Story, story, story. It's all about the story. Humans connect with stories and we have since, you know, people sat around in caves and told stories to each other. So I think it's getting away from your talking points and coming up with all of the human stories that you can tell around that particular topic and thinking of exciting and unusual ways to tell that story. You know, perhaps, again, getting back to the sort of, um, you know, the drink driving campaign, you know, wouldn't it be great to hear um, some sort of kind of mediated counselling session between someone who had been drink driving and the person they'd ploughed into? And wouldn't you like to be a fly on the wall at that little mediation session? So that can be a podcast and it's much more powerful than, I guess, an, a straight interview show. So I would really encourage people to think about what are the stories behind the topics and the campaigns that you're running and who's best to tell those stories and how might you come up with a format that's really engaging and interesting and different in the topic uh, that you're trying to tell that story in. So it's like just be creative and do something interesting and unusual because that's usually how you cut through is to do something where only you have that unique proposition or only you have access to that data or those case studies and no one else does. So lean into what you've got and create your format from that. And in terms of that also, the, the skills to get out there and to have a go, this sounds to me, you know, the subtext of what you're saying is get out there, um, 
test the theses that you may have um, put in, put up, uh, test the stories that you, you think you know and get out there and, and, and make, the, make the programs happen. That's right. It's such a low barrier to entry, which I think some people mistake for thinking, oh, yeah, a cheap and dirty slap them together thing will work. It's, it's, a, it's a low barrier to entry to just get a thing happening. But what's your sort of return on investment proposition? So perhaps you're better to spend a little bit more money and make something really fantastic that absolutely cuts through and gets three times the audience than kind of slap out something that just is an afterthought. So I think podcasting sometimes is treated as this poorer cousin to perhaps um, video or TV or even digital now, but because it's so sticky and it's it's still the thing that you can do when you're doing something else. And I think this is a real opportunity for governments and brands and agencies is I, I'm a busy person, right? I've got kids, I've got a big busy job. And for me to fit something into my life, um, is quite hard. But if I can do it while I'm ironing or on the train or on the bus or I'm exercising, I'm at the gym, then that feels like a valuable use of my time. Whereas the option to sort of sit down and watch a five-minute video or a webinar is not always possible for me. Mm. So I think that's the other thing is to think about podcast as an opportunity to slip into someone's life in a really ubiquitous way. Now, listen, Kelly, if people are out there and they're looking for a little bit more detailed advice, how could they get in contact with you? Um, look, they can go to my website, deadsetstudios.com, where I sort of outline the things that I do and the projects I'm working on. I also have a podcast called Curveball, well, it's called Curveball, and you can go to the website, curveballshow.com, um, which gives you an idea of some of the production values and things that we go to. Or you can check out all of the different shows that I've had the pleasure of making while at the Australian Broadcasting Corporation. Um, you can follow me on Instagram. I'm on Twitter. LinkedIn is a really great place to follow the projects that I'm working on though. And and that's a space where I tend to tell people about um, what podcasting can do for their business and their organisation. Kelly Ridden, thank you so much for giving us uh, a small part of your uh, most valuable asset, your time and your attention. I think, I suspect that you may have in fact inspired a few people today to get out there and tell those stories because I think that is what government has access to. And they have also access to audiences who want to know what is going on. And I think this COVID period has proven that there is an appetite for government content, but they just have to make sure that when they tell those stories, it's not in the old dull, boring and drab ways that it has been done in the past and to find those inspirational stories. So Kelly, thank you so much for joining us on the GovComs podcast and to you, the audience, thank you for coming back once again and for all of you who, um, this I suppose is a, a little bit of an inspiration as well, isn't it, that the GovComs podcast grew into the GovComs festival where we had 2,000 people, 1,700 registrations from 22 countries around the world where people created over 120 hours of content. So there you go. From little things, big things grow. And we now have the GovComs Institute. And I might <laughs> hazard a guess that we might reach out to Kelly Reardon to maybe put together some education on that GovComs Institute so you can become a 
fantastic podcaster to tell your story about your policy, your program, your service or your regulation. A big thanks to Kelly Reardon once again and to you, the audience, for coming back once again. Uh, We'll be back at the same time with another great interview on the uh, GovComs podcast. But for the moment, it's bye for now. You've been listening to the GovComs podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to rate and subscribe to stay up to date with our latest episodes.